0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. I want to ask you this evening to imagine with me something that is actually unimaginable. If God helps us with an inner eye, We can behold by faith what Jesus meant when he said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, Jesus, the babe in the manger, whom we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow, before the world existed, Jesus had a glory with the Father. And in the days of his flesh, in John 17, when he offered that prayer, it was a prayer that he would be restored to that kind of clear, imminent glory. So we're talking today about the unimaginable, but something very true, which is before Christmas. So really better, before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. What was that like? (laughs) For a beginningless eternity, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, existed as God and not man. And then, in being conceived in the womb of Mary, there was a change. It wasn't a change in Jesus as God, because one of the attributes, one of the necessary characteristics of God is that He cannot change. So we cannot say that Jesus, in coming to our world, Stopped being God or became less than God? Utterly impossible. But there was a change in that Jesus took on something that he did not have before. Our humanity. Another nature. We're uttering or lisping mysteries, but these are true mysteries. What we celebrate at Christmas is that the eternal Son of God Being fully God, very God of very God, God himself, the Son of God, took on human nature, something which he did not have before. That is what happened when the Spirit overshadowed the very human Mary, and Jesus was conceived as a man in her womb. So, there was a difference, if you would, in the experience of Jesus before he was conceived, before what we celebrate on Christmas and afterward. And what we want to do today is imagine the impossible, try to imagine the experience of Christ before Christmas, or better, before he was conceived in the womb of Mary, when he was, as he ever was in the past, God, but not God and man. Because that came after Christmas. You can imagine him, and it's only imagination, of course, but here he is for all eternity. And then after the creation of the heavens and the earth, there he is in the halls of heaven, if you would, regally walking down those halls, angels, angelic majesties at attention on both sides. Walking down those halls, no pain, no suffering, it's an impossibility for him. At that time, being God and not man, there was no experience of agonies like we endure. His knowledge was complete. And as we'll see, is complete again now, but his knowledge was complete. His power unsurpassed. To will was to do. If he wanted to do something, there was no gap between his wanting and his doing, because that's the prerogative of omnipotence. And that's what he had at that time as God, God and not man, sitting in the heavens, laughing at the wicked who would raise their fists against him, unbothered, with an unalloyed joy. And that is what most amazes us about this time. Jesus, before Christmas, before conception, as the Christ, as the Son of God, full of joy like a bar of gold with no impurity in it. That's the joy within His bosom. As part of the eternal circle of fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unbothered, undisturbed, emanating joy, part of the very love that birthed our world. This is the Son of God before Christmas. Everything that you, whether I know you or not, I know this is true that everything that you pant for in this world, Jesus had completely, more than completely, before Christmas. That's the best we can imagine of it, and we'll labor to do more, but it's worth us considering for a little while what seems unimaginable because the love, that we celebrate on Christmas is made most clear to us when we understand just what Jesus, it's hard to even say the word, we'll clarify it later, but just what Jesus surrendered, just what he was willing to give up to make Christmas happen, to be incarnate in the womb of Mary, to take on our nature. So we are going to be considering today, before Christmas, since it is before Christmas, we are going to be considering today Jesus as he was before he was conceived in the womb of Mary so that we can then see how powerfully his love brought him from so high a place down to where we are. And I want to show this to you in one verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Let me read it to you. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We're trying to utter mysteries here, and there is much of this we're not going to understand. But there's something stated here that is absolutely true. It's presented right in front of us here in this passage with those words, though he was rich. Jesus existed as God and not man, then at Christmas time or in the conception, took on our nature. Then was God and man. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. You might say, this is kind of high up there. Yes, but it's also incredibly practical, and that's what we find in this passage right here. Because when he says, though he was rich, he's talking about Jesus before his incarnation, before he was conceived in the womb of Mary. He was rich. We'll talk about that. But he starts with a for, for you know. Meaning there is at least something about that that we can know because the Corinthians knew it. You know the grace of Christ, namely that he was rich but impoverished himself that we might be made rich spiritually. So he says this is something you can know. And even here you see how he starts with the word for. For you know, because what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 8, if you remember, is he's Compelling, he's urging the Corinthians to help make a donation to a fund he's raising for saints who are down in Jerusalem who are very poor and in great need. He's not forcing them to make a donation, but he's giving them a series of arguments for why he thinks they should do it give for their good. And this is part of his argument. You don't have to give, however, you know this about Jesus. That though he was rich before the incarnation, he was born, was poor, that we might be spiritually rich. So even though we are talking about mysteries today, about Jesus, someone who possesses two natures, unlike anyone else ever has or can or will, there is something very practical here. For you know this grace, that this is what happened. And it's part of Paul's argument to influence the way the Corinthians lived. So what we want to do today is to draw something practical from this for ourselves, and we are focusing really only on four words in the English, two in the original language, and it's this, though he was rich. In the original, it would be more like being rich. And we know that Paul's not talking about Jesus at any point during his earthly life. When during Jesus' earthly life was he ever rich? Never. He said, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lived off the donations of kind friends. He had no home, no property, no estate, no wealth at all. But he says, You know that he was rich. When was he rich? Before the incarnation, before conceived in the womb of Mary. The way that Paul describes that experience, all the mystery of what before Christmas could possibly mean in Jesus is rich. And it's our task now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, because it's impossible otherwise, to try to unpack biblically what that means. He was rich before he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Because once we've done that and considered Christ's riches in what we call his pre-incarnate state... When we consider those riches, then we can turn and consider the grace of this verse, where though he was exalted and rich, he impoverished himself for us. So let's begin by considering the impossible that actually happened, though he was rich. What are the riches of before Christmas for Jesus, before he was ever in the womb of Mary, for endless ages, what kind of riches did Jesus experience? If you know your Bible well, you may already in your mind be in Philippians chapter 2 because that is one of the clearest expressions of Jesus before his incarnation and what happened leading into and afterward. Let me read you just one part of it. Philippians 2, though Jesus was in the form of God, that's before, and continues, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He's not putting anything off. He's taking something he didn't have before, our nature, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. The very first part of the riches of Christ before his incarnation is this, what we would call the privileges of godhood. Privileges that were his simply because for all eternity he was and continues to be God and made full use of his divinity. That's what's being spoken of here. When it says he emptied himself, this cannot be, as some have taken it wrongly, this cannot be Jesus emptying himself in any way of being God. Because God cannot change. Jesus was God after his incarnation. He remained being God after his resurrection. He's still God today. He's God the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus who was, who is, and who is to come. So when you think of Christmas and you see the babe in the manger, know that that is God. There is no emptying of divinity. It's impossible. So we're not talking about that. That's not what changed before and after he was born, but when you're looking at the babe in the manger, there is a change, and it is the taking on of human nature, and in doing this, Jesus as a man, here's the best way we can put it, veiled his deity, or he emptied himself, he did not make full use of the privileges that were his being God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This is what the Son of God experienced before Christmas with no veiling. When he came here to the earth, he veiled this. He didn't make full use of his divine attributes as a man, still had them as God. I know it's a mystery, but he wasn't man before. So, when Jesus, the Son of God, existed before his incarnation only as God, the privileges that were his, that he made complete full use of, veiled in no way for all eternity, what were those? Take this for example. There is Christ, the Son in heaven, and He possesses complete knowledge of all things. This is a privilege that you and I would do almost anything to attain. If only we could know all things. You who have children, you think of them, you think of their future. What will the world be like for them? You want them to be safe. How will things turn out? Will they come to the knee of the Savior themselves? You are eager to know these things, and you can't know them. Try as you might. Sometimes it keeps you up at night. But Jesus, before Christmas, knows all of those things. He knows what I would say tonight. He knows how you would receive it. He knows how many hairs would be upon your head while you received it. It is a complete and absolute knowledge. This is a part of the privilege of being God. That before Christmas, Jesus knew and only knew there was no other experience for him. There was never a shadow of ignorance in Christ's experience before Christmas. Never, not once. After he was born, as a man, he could say things like, No one knows the day or hour of my return. The angels don't know. Not even I know. Only the Father. Because as a man, he didn't make full use of that privilege. But before he was a man, he made absolutely full use of it. When Jesus in heaven would extend his golden scepter, so to speak, his decrees would always be faultless because he cannot imagine wrongly. He can't wrongly predict the future. There's no data that can appear to ruin his plans. This is a privilege that Jesus had from all eternity. Before Christmas... At that time, if you were to try to go and counsel Jesus in anything, the Son of God, the Logos, the Eternal Word, if you thought He wasn't doing things well and you wanted to come before Him and give Him some counsel, then His reply could be to you what God's was from the whirlwind to Job. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? And He would ask that because He had Have the gates of death been revealed to you? They were to Jesus, the Son of God from all eternity. Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? It was all laid before the eyes of the Son of God. Declare if you know all this. Where's the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness? The Christ, the Son of God, always knew where it was. That you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, God said to Job, for you were born then in a mocking manner. The number of your days is great. That was not true of Job, but it was true of the Son of God. Remember also that before Christmas, Jesus not only had all knowledge, but he had complete power. To will and to do were one. There was none of this praying of, nevertheless, not my will be done. That's Jesus as a man in the days of his flesh. That's what he would become. But before he was incarnate, that was never a prayer. If Jesus willed something, it was done. Always. It's what every person longs for in this world. You have desires and you wish you could enact them, whether for good or for ill. And men go to battle and there are great wars staged upon our planet for the power to be able to enact our own wills, our own desires, and even in smaller manners, whether in a household with children and spouse or in your workplace, there is always this vying for the right and ability to get your way. (laughs) Jesus never vied for that. It was his from all eternity. It was a privilege that belonged to him as God. There are threats to human safety in the world, think of the Far East, think of nuclear weapons and all that that could mean. And you wish with all your heart that there was something you could do to just prevent that, (laughs) to make that go away, to turn the news articles good. (laughs) Jesus, good, from all eternity. There was no limit to his power. He didn't wish he could do something. He simply had the ability always. And this makes sense because if you remember the description of the Son of God from Colossians 1, it is, by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Christ, the Son of God, with unlimited power, through Him came the emergence of the entire universe. And I assure you, it's easier to change slightly something in the created universe than to bring it all into existence. And yet that was the power of Christ, that he brought it into existence. And afterward, as its sustainer, he could change anything he wanted to change. There was no limitation to his power. No one else could bind his hands and lead him away. No one could pull his scepter from his hand. He did exactly as he pleases. We could go on, but what I'm trying to demonstrate is what 2 Corinthians 8-9 means when it says, though he was rich. First, it means he was rich in the privileges of Godhood, not veiled, not held back at all. We could add to this the privileges of heaven, which is sort of a separate category. Before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, his riches also consisted in blessings that anyone in heaven would experience, even those who are not God. Take, for example, when we talk about riches, if you have a lot of money, it affords you certain benefits. Less concerned about medical matters because you can go and pay for the bills You can get others to do work that you would rather not do, (laughs) fix the pipe that burst in your house, whatever it may be. By way of comparison, Christ's wealth in heaven put him above all earthly pains and necessities. None of them touched him. Let me just give you some examples. Before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, he never experienced physical pain. We know that In the new earth to come, there shall, quote, never be death, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. We are longing and looking forward to that. Some of you here have chronic pain. Most of you here have at least mild lower back pain. And it's going to be that way until we get to that new earth. But for Jesus, there was none of that. The eternal Son of God Never experienced pain of any kind. Now add on to this, this privilege that Christ in heaven never did, of course, and even at that time never could experience death. He was an immortal being. If you had whispered to one of the angelic majesties in the courts of heaven, that man there, not a man, that Christ there, that son of God, he will die they would have passed out from shock. How can life itself cease to live? It is impossible to imagine, and we would not dare to think it if it were not true. This is part of what Christ surrendered in coming to our world. I don't know about you, but there are times when in weaker moments, I lie upon my bed and I think, Paul said, we will not all sleep, that means die, but we'll all be changed. When Christ comes back, those who live will be taken with him without experiencing death. And when I think of that, I say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Certainly, the grace of Christ will lead us across the narrow river when we come to the time of death, if Christ has not returned yet. But I think upon my bed at night, I'd really rather not experience it. Death is such an unnatural thing. And in my weaker moments, I even dread it. Christ, before his incarnation... There was no such thing as death for him. He never had to experience it. It's one of the privileges of heaven that there is no death there. All of these things, the privileges of being God, the privileges of being far above our broken earth in heaven, this is what's meant in our passage by though he was rich. I hope you can see then something of his wealth here. And the reason we have considered this is not only because it's worshipful, but because now it puts you in a position to understand Christmas. You really can't understand it without this. Because now we turn from His riches and we look at His grace that led Him to surrender these for us. Now, if we're considering the grace of Christ, you see in our passage, for you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in all the ways we just described, he impoverished himself to raise us up. If everything we just said about Jesus is true, then he didn't have to impoverish himself. Who would have forced him to do it? There was no obligation on Jesus. Even if we were to go to heaven and tell him, Jesus, Son of God, unless you come to earth as one of us to die in our stead, we will suffer for eternity in hell for our sins. And there's no alternative way for us to escape that. Even if we went to tell him that, so what? You're going to persuade him by rhetoric? You're going to convince him by argument? We're the ones who brought about that judgment upon ourselves. We're the ones in heinous rebellion against Christ and everything he stands for. We're the ones who've ruined it. And we are going to stand before a holy Christ, the son of the living God, and plead that he would come to our unclean earth and die upon a cross? Complete madness. There's nothing outside of Christ that ever could have compelled him to give up the riches in any sense or to veil them or to limit the use of his prerogatives to take on human nature. Nothing could convince him to do that outside of himself. Again, if we consider the book of Job, part of God's argument to Job was can you draw out Leviathan, that ancient monster with a fish hook? Ancient sea beast. Can you throw in your fishing pole? Pull that fish out? No, you can't because he's too powerful. What fishing hook would we throw to heaven to pull the very Son of God down? There's nothing. Satan tried to counter Christ's will and he was thrown from heaven and fell like lightning. There's nothing any of us could have done by persuasion or by force. If that's true... Why are we celebrating Christmas? Why did the Son of God, having all those riches, veil them, set aside the full use of them, and become a man? Who convinced him? How was he forced? There's only one answer to that question, and nothing can be added to it it was his grace. It was the goodness and the mercy and the love that flows out of Christ's own heart as God. Here's the answer given in our text. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus compelled himself to come here because no one else could compel him. The grace of Christ is his own goodwill, It's one of his own perfections as God. Flowing out of his own being in a mysterious manner, a part of who he eternally is. No one could put it there. There was nothing in us on earth drawing his affection out. (laughs) We were in rebellion. It was entirely of his own heart, of his own grace, that Christ chose to impoverish himself and come to this earth. If Jesus had not made that decision for us, He would not have been born as a man. If He had not been born as a man, He would not have died upon a cross as a man. And if He had not died upon a cross as a man, every one of us upon death would enter into an eternity of judgment, and rightly so. There would be no hope for any of us, no cheer for the season. But this is the grace of Christ, that He freely, without being asked by us, was willing to leave or veil something of all the riches he had before his incarnation and come to the earth for us. By grace, when the fullness of time had come, we could imagine that the eternal Son, it's only an imagination, but that the eternal Son, who had always sat upon the throne of heaven, rises from that throne. Angels are surprised. Where is he going? And he walks down two rows of angels at attention, and then, to their shock, removes the golden crown that rightfully deserves to be upon his head and no one else's, and sets it down. Angels can't imagine what is happening here. Then there's the scepter. His hand loosens his grip, No one, not all humanity, not the mass of fallen angels could ever have pried one finger off the grip he held upon that scepter that rules nations. And now all fingers are open and he lays it down. He removes the cape, the train of which in the day that King Uzziah died, filled the temple with glory. And he sets it aside and he kneels before the will of really the father with whom he is one and he enters down into the womb of Mary. He continues being God, but the Son of God now takes on human nature. And as a man, he who is strong becomes weak. As a man, he who knows everything knows almost nothing there as a fetus. As a man, he who rules the nations is now transported away from his home because of a different ruler of the nation, Caesar, and his decree. Jesus willingly submitted himself to all of this, and we could ask why. The angels certainly would. And he would say, no one takes this from me. I lay my life down of my own accord. That is the grace of Christ. That is his own heart, his own willingness to do it. This passage says, you know that grace, and that's our conclusion Do you know that kind of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ? We know Him as the baby in the manger, the one who's come to bring goodwill toward mankind. But do you know Him personally? Because for you, it could be that you know about Jesus, but you don't feel you could come to Him. Because think of all the riches, all the privileges, all the grandeur and the greatness, that He's the Son of God, perfect, and you are there And you know your own impurities. You know your own weaknesses, failures, your sins. This is Christmas that Christ was so far above us before the incarnation. So far as God and not man. And yet for our sake, to make us rich, to save us, to give us an inheritance in heaven, for our sake, he impoverished himself. That is, he entered the womb of Mary and became weak. I don't know how else Christ could prove to us his grace, the goodwill that he feels toward us. There may be some here who are delaying to come to Jesus Christ because you feel, again, that others can come to Jesus, but not you. I don't know if those of you who are here remember the other day when we had the children up on the stage to sing that song. It had verses like, Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. And Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. But did you notice the change in the final verse of that song? It was given for people like you, if you're delaying to come to Jesus Christ, fearing you won't find a welcome. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it? He being rich, with no obligation to come down here, came down here for sinners like us and suffered to the utmost all the way to the point of the cross and died there to demonstrate for you, not you plural, talking you singular here, to demonstrate for you that it doesn't matter how massive the gap is between his riches as God and your poverty as a created and rebelling being, he can bridge the gap and he wants to. And he's willing to. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him, He's done everything to make that possible. He has come to you. And whatever Satan whispers into your ear to prevent you from believing the grace of Jesus Christ, I pray that Christ himself, by the scepter he now in heaven, proudly holds again, that he would cast those thoughts from your mind. And that you would come immediately to him. And as believers, you who have bent the knee to Jesus Christ, this is the grace of Christmas. It's not just gingerbread cookies, as nice as those are. It's not just the wrapped presents under the tree. It's that He has come to us. And if He has come that far from those riches to this poverty, there's no depth that we can descend to further where He's not willing to descend and find us. This is the grace of Christmas. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and I hope that you know this grace.